How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Uh, and I've been more focused on the RRSP because, you know, the mindset is always pay less tax, pay less tax. Um, and so I've, I've focused a bit more on the RRSP. But I think after what you mentioned now, I'm going to have to look at that a little bit more. You know, I have a chunk of money in my RRSP and, and then my assumption was always that, you know, I, I can now take that money out. I pay taxes on whatever amount I take out uh, and then I can use that money. Is that correct? Welcome to the Mea Culpa series of this podcast. In this particular podcast series, I'm going to be interviewing uh, friends, families, colleagues to uh, share with you, the audience, the different mistakes that have been done uh, in their personal lives. And when I mean mistakes, I'm talking about financial mistakes, of course. The goals of these um, Mea Culpa series is really to give the audience uh, a sense of what real life uh, financial mistakes people have been doing. So I'm hoping that you enjoy this series of podcast uh, and learn from um, other people's mistakes like uh, we would do in uh, mortality and morbidity rounds uh, in medicine. So I guess this is uh, something similar. Welcome everybody to this uh, podcast of uh, How is My Financial Health Doc uh, podcast. Today, I have with me uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Lorenzo. Uh, and Lorenzo is a physician assistant. He works in the emergency department. And uh, Lorenzo has been uh, gracious uh, and generous with his time and spending a few minutes with us uh, talking about his financial challenges. Uh, Lorenzo, why don't you uh, say hello to the audience and uh, maybe say a few words about yourself? Good morning, Vu. Thanks again for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. I think you're doing some great work talking about uh, finances for healthcare providers, really important stuff. Um, so just to give the audience a little bit of background about me, uh, I'm uh, 29 years old, uh, work as a PA in the GTA and emergency department. I've been working now for about seven, seven and a half years uh, since graduation. Um, I am fortunate enough to be married, got married last year. Uh, Congratulations. Wife. Thank you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, COVID put a little bit of kink in things, but uh, we're married nonetheless and happily married. Things are going well. Uh, no kids uh, yet, uh, but hopefully at some point in the future. So in terms of uh, my work, um, I make around a six-figure salary um, I work kind of full-time right now. I have a couple of roles, uh, both in the emergency department. I also do some teaching at the universities as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I plan to work probably, hopefully until 60, 65 and hoping to retire at least partially around 60 or so if possible. Uh, cause I just enjoy my work. So I don't think I'd want to fully retire uh, till later. 
Um, and since I've started working, you know, I'm, I'm privileged to have benefits through my work. I have a pension through my work. Um, and I've also been investing in RRSP and TFSAs. I have an emergency fund uh, that I keep just, you know, in case there's a rainy day or, or things happen. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just trying to think of how best to manage my finances, uh, specific to kind of my RRSP and my TFSA, how best I can really optimize my investments in these accounts. Those are um, a lot of moving parts already, uh, Lorenzo. Uh, I think a few things that are, you know, moving parts for at least from a finance perspective is you've got a full-time job, you've got a few part-time jobs with the university. Um, and uh, you also have a pension through work. That's a lot of, you know, moving parts, and obviously it gets complicated. But I think your question was, um, you know, you've started saving in RRSP and TFSA, and so how does that work in combination with your pension? Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Tell us a little bit more about your RRSPs. Um, what have you done so far since you started working seven years ago? Where, where have you invested it? Yeah, so for my RRSP, I, I actually use a robo kind of advisor um, yep. in, in order to manage my investments for that. Um, so I've, I've invested probably about, you know, 10,000 or so a year uh, in my RSP, mainly to try to defer my taxes from my other income. You know, I make a good salary from my full-time income at, at uh, my eMERGE position, but uh, my other additional part-time jobs bring in extra income, which I have to pay a good amount of taxes on at the end of the year. So, you know, one of the things that I was told through family, friends is, you know, why don't you invest more into an RSP and then defer, defer the taxes uh, for later. Uh, so that's what I've been doing. And I find kind of the a decent spot is around, you know, 10,000 a year or so that I put into the RSP, I can minimize some of the taxes that I'm paying uh, on the income that I'm making from those other other positions. Not really understanding the full financial picture. I, I don't know whether it's it's good or bad. But the question I have for you is, you know, you said your fans or your friends and family say invest in an RSP, um, and which you did. Um, so the question is, how much did you understand of the RRSP before you did that? And what are the some remaining questions you still have? Do you, do you feel you have a good grasp understanding of the RRSP? And the reason I ask is because most Canadians don't still understand the concept of RRSP and their implications. Yeah, I mean, quite, quite honestly, I mean, I, I'm no expert. So I, I think there's definitely room for improvement. Um, my understanding is at a very basic level. So, you know, defer taxes to the time that you retire when you invest in, in an RRSP. So take the money that I have, put it into the RRSP, don't pay taxes on it today, but I'll have to pay taxes on it when I withdraw that money at the time of retirement. Um, and I guess my understanding, and maybe you can clarify this for me, Boo, is, you know, once I retire, let's say at the age of 65, um, you know, I have a chunk of money in my RRSP and, and my assumption was always that, you know, I can now take that money out. I pay taxes on whatever amount I take out uh, and then I can use that money. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, I will add a few caveats to, the, to it, though. And so you are right. Um, the RRSP 
is let's say in your example, you said 10,000 a year. And by the way, the, the way to calculate the RSP is a maximum of 18% of your uh, annual income. Uh, and so you could max it out to 18%. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to, just means that you could. Uh, in your scenario, let's take the example of the 10,000. So you invested and you put $10,000 into an account called RRSP, which is a registered account. And by the way, you could put that in any type of investment that you want that is eligible for an RSP. So in your example, you mentioned you put it in an account with a robo-advisor. And so you take that 10,000, that 10,000 is deducted from your income that year. So I'm gonna take 2020 as an example. In 2020, you invested 10,000 in the RSP. This year, instead of making, let's just say as a hypothetically easy number to remember is you, let's say make 100,000, you now invested in uh, RSP 10,000. So instead of declaring uh, gross revenue of 100, you're now declaring gross revenue of 90. And so that's how you save the tax for this year. And so you put that money into that account and you invest it in something. And let's say as an example, it generates a five, 6% uh, year after year. So that interest gets compounded into that 10,000 for the next, um, you know, your, your 29. So let's just say 30. So it's for the next 35, 36 years, at age 65, you say, you know, I want to retire and I want to take that money out. Now, obviously, that 10000 has been growing in there, I hope, consistently um, for the next 35, 36 years. And you make that 5 6%. So it's no longer 10000 at that point. Hopefully, it'll be much more. And assuming that we're going to be putting uh, every year $10,000 with a interest rate of 5% year after year, after 35 years, the growth calculator gives us $958,363. So let's just round it up to $1 million. And when you take that money out at that point, that's when you get taxed. And so assuming that you're going to take, uh, I'm going to say 15000 out. You're going to say, I'm going to take 15000 out that year. And, and this 15,000 is just a hypothetical number because it's really not 15,000. So, yeah. uh, but I'm just saying, hypothetically, you take 15,000 out, that 15,000 will be counted as income in that year, okay? So 35 years from now, it would be 2055. So at 2055, when you take 15,000 out, that that 15,000 will be counted as income for 2055 and will be taxed at your marginal tax rate, right? right? And so I guess that's what you understood. Yes. And the idea is that by 2055, because you're gonna be partially retired, your income will go down. And therefore, when you take out that 15,000, that hopefully you'll be in a much better tax bracket. And instead of being taxed at your marginal tax rate that you're currently in, you're going to be taxed at a lesser marginal tax, uh, marginal tax rate, hopefully less than now. So that's the idea. Exactly. The problem with that idea is that it doesn't always work that way, because you can understand that 
you know, 35 years from now, God knows what the world will be like. Um, and so if you think that your marginal tax rate this year, let's say as an example is 30%, again, just a, a, a random number. Um, let's just say your, your marginal tax rate is 30, 30% in 2020. Well, in 2055, it could be 60%. Right. Even though you're you're in uh, a lesser, uh, you're, you're making less money and you're in part-time work. And the reason is because, you know, taxes only go up, they don't go down. Um, as, as we need to support society and need to support societal needs, for example, continue building roads, continue building schools, and continue building hospitals and supporting the aging population, the government will need more money. And given how we're spending right now with COVID, you can definitely understand how we need to now all pay for all that in future years. So the assumption that we're gonna be paying less taxes in the future is most likely a wrong assumption, right? And um, the other thing is, when you get to age 60 or 65, there are a lot of things you no longer can write off. And so even though you are potentially making less money from an income standpoint, you probably have less things to write off, but you're also probably gonna be paying more tax even though you're in a lesser bracket. And so for all those reasons, it may actually not pan out the way we think it will. Um, the second caveat is that there's this thing called the RIF, the RRIF, uh, which is a registered retirement income fund. So okay. if you reach the age of uh, 65 and you're still making a partial income, uh, and you're saying, well, you know, I've got enough money. I don't want to take money out, out of my RSP. I just want to let it continue. Mm -hmm. So you continue working until age 71, where you now need to convert your RRSP into an RRIF. So have you heard about that before? Uh, I have not, boo. Okay. And so an RRIF is you are mandated by the government to convert this. And it's now your retirement fund. And the government says every money that you have, every single penny that you have in the RSP now needs to convert to an RIF. And at age 71, you need to convert it. And at age 72, you must take money out. And so currently as it stands, the uh, minimum, minimum, whether you want it or not, uh, Lorenzo, you need to take currently 5.28%. So mm -hmm. at age 71, you're still doing part-time, you're still teaching, you're still with the university, you're making some good money, you don't have much to pay because your kids are grown, you have no more mortgage, and you say, I don't need a lot to live on, and I'm still having good money from the university. Uh, I don't want more money, but the government says, no, 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 Lorenzo, you need to take it out. And so you're taking out 5.28% of your total amount of your RRSP, which is now RRIF. So I'm going to project your money, you know, 30 years down the road or 35 years, actually when you're 71 or almost be 40 years down the road. Right. So 
if you imagine you're putting, you know, 10,000 every year uh, for the next uh, 40 years, compounded at five, six percent, you can imagine that will probably reach somewhere in the space of almost 700,000 to a million dollars. Well, earlier, we only used 35 years at 5%, and that came to $968,000. And if we're talking about 40 years, it will pass the $1 million mark. Right. And if you're successful and you're a good investor and the market does well, you could be potentially be higher than that. Right. And so if you're think about 5.28% of let's just say round numbers of a million dollars, you still have to take out uh, $52,800, whether you want it or not. That's the minimum. Right? Right. So you're saying, wait a minute, Vu, I I don't need this money. I don't want to take it out. Lorenzo, you have no choice. And so that money that you take out at that time is added to your income from the university or from other teachings or from other work and from the pension that you have which represent maybe 70 to 80 percent of your current income which is we said for example one hundred thousand dollars what that means is you now have to add let's say 70 to eighty thousand dollars from your pension fifty two fifty two thousand eight hundred from this um riff and the partial income from your part-time work, which means by the time you retire, you will actually make more money than you do currently. So with your pension and this RIF, you are already at 128 to 130,000 annually. And this has not even taken into account the revenue from your part-time job. Oh, by the time you add everything, you're probably going to be closer to 180 to 200, which means at time of retirement, you're going to be potentially making double the income that you're currently making. uh, And you'll be taxed maybe at a lower tax rate, but more in absolute value. Right. And even if it's more than that, then so, you know, if you have, let's say, $2 million, then it could be even more. It's, you know, 100,000 that you're paying tax on. And potentially you could be paying t- even you, you might be in that in that setting making more than you were prior to retirement. Right. Exactly. So right now you're making, you know, six figures in retirement. You're still making six figures, but potentially even more than now. Right. Right. Yeah. And and also uh, at a uh, potentially higher tax rate, even though you're in a lower tax bracket. Right. Uh, and also with less things to deduct off the income. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Actually, I had no idea. I, um, you know, I, I always assumed the the earlier scenario that you described was how it was indefinitely. So you know, I hit sixty, I take out fifteen thousand dollars. That's how much I need. Perfect. You don't need to take out more. But I guess you know the the summary here for me is at. At 71, you have to take out a set amount of money per year through the RRIF account, the RIF. And so potentially, you are making a better income at retirement than you are currently doing. (laughs) 
Wow, like, that's a long way away. I mean, it sounds good on, uh, you know, it sounds good, but uh, in, in theory, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> well, financially, it may not. I don't know the answer, right? The answer is we need to calculate this and put it on paper. Yeah. So that's the uh, RRSP portion. Uh, you mentioned also um, the TFSA. You have some money invested in TFSA. Tell, tell me more a little bit about that. Yeah, so the TFSA, um, you know, early on, uh, and you know, I, I listened to your podcast, so it was funny when when I listened to your Mia Culpa episode, I, I kind of did similar to you. I, I went to a bank uh, once I graduated, uh, and I spoke with an advisor, and early on they said, oh, you know, mutual funds are great, you should consider investing in some mutual funds, open up a TFSA, I learned about a little bit about TFSAs and they said, you know, it's tax-free, whatever you're making in that account, you don't have to pay taxes on. Uh, and I invested a fair chunk of money in my TFSA account. Um, and I used actually a, a good portion of that uh, to put a down payment on our, on our home now mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago. So that I have now built up some more savings in a TFSA. I have it in a couple of different accounts. Uh, one of the accounts uh, is just a trading account that I use. So I invest in a variety of different stocks, some bonds, um, some ETFs, uh, and I manage that. And then uh, the other one is also through a robo-advisor. Uh, and I kind of compared the two side by side. Very good. Very good. I mean, uh, Lorenzo, it sounds like you're already doing the right thing uh, and you seem to know what you're doing already. So I think it's actually great news. Um, also, you took money out of the TFSA to put a down payment for your um, condo. Uh, do you know that you now have more room, right? You've taken money out, you can put that money back in uh, yeah. going forward. So you know, there's room there now, right? Yes. Um, I think one of the things I was doing and I'm, I'm going to have to reconsider this is I was so focused on deferring my taxes um, that I haven't put as much into my TFSA as I as I probably could. Uh, and I've been more focused on the RRSP because, you know, the mindset is always pay less tax, pay less tax. Um, and so I've, I've focused a bit more on the RRSP. But I think after what you mentioned now, I'm going to have to look at that a little bit more. Right. Uh, I think most people don't understand the RRIF, which, uh, to be honest, I call it the uh, RRIF uh, torpedo or a time bomb <laughs> <laughs> because we we get hit with significant amount of tax when we take it out. I mean, and there's right. good reason for it, right? Um, yeah. You know, our our comrade uh, Bill Morno, uh, but now Christian Freeland, um, gives us the privilege to defer tax for you know x amount of time but at some point you know our comrade freeland wants it back yeah um and at some point we have to pay tax on it so you know uh lorenzo there's only one way not to pay tax and and that is not to generate an income and not working right <laughs> otherwise we all have to pay taxes whether we want to pay it up front or we want to pay at the end and and, and that's very important yeah. to remember because we we cannot escape tax unless you live in Monaco. Um, <laughs> but everybody needs to pay tax. So you either pay it up front or you pay at the end. Now that, now that we talked about the RRIF torpedo, in my mind, at least this is a personal opinion, it makes more sense 
to pay tax on the, in your example, to pay tax on the $10,000 every year, than to pay tax on the $10,000 multiplied by 40 years, multiplied by 5% compounded. And it now becomes, I don't know, 50, 60,000 with that, with that 10,000 alone. So I'd rather pay, you know, 30% as an example on the uh, $10,000 now versus paying 20% on the $50,000 later. Yeah. Right. I, I take your point, actually. It's a, it's a really good one and something I, I really haven't even considered. Now, with the TFSA, uh, it's a, a tax-free savings account, but it's after tax. Uh, yeah. And every year, you're allowed to contribute a maximum 6000 every year for now. But the, if you haven't contributed since it starts, you can pay, you can contribute up to 69000 and something. And that's the room that most people have if they haven't contributed in the TFSA. Um, right. But if you think about 6000 every year, I'll just take that as an example. Whatever, whatever tax bracket you're in, you pay that, you pay that tax. So to have a 6000 for example, you may need to make 10000 pay the yeah. tax, and then leave you 6000 to put in a TFSA. That's what I meant. Right. So you now have 6000 that you put in a, a robo-advisor account or a self-directed account with any of the major banks or financial institution. And again, let's assume you put it in the same investment as your RSP and it generates a 5% year after year. Now the TFSA, I don't know if you, you were aware of this, but there is no age limit. And so you don't have to take it out at age 71. Nobody makes you take it out. Right. And the reason is because you already paid your taxes, right? The government has already taken a chunk out of their in, out of the and put it into their pocket. So whatever you do with that afterwards is your decision. And so there's no age limit and there's no minimum. And you can decide at age 65, age 71, age 80, age 90, never to take it out. Yeah. And you'd be, and you'd be fine. That means you let that money continue to grow or you could, yeah, that sounds awesome. Right. And you could also decide to take it out at 55 and say, you know what, I'm going to retire much earlier than I thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's that's the beauty of it is that you have that flexibility with the TFSA. There seems to be a lot more limitations and restrictions on your RRSP, uh, both with regards to when you can take it out and how you can take it out and how much you have to take out, whereas the TFSA, you're kind of, you're free to do whatever you please since you've already paid the taxes on that on that money that you're investing. So Exactly. If we decide to, you know, upgrade, buy another home, we need another down payment. I can't utilize the RSP, but I can definitely use my TFSA again uh, without any penalties, which is awesome. Right. And and it's not really a penalty. It's it's just paying income tax. Um, so if right, you take it enough. out of your RSP, you have to pay tax on that income. Whereas if you take it out of the F TFSA, you just take it out, and there's no in, there's no. Um, there's no tax on that amount because it's not considered income. Just for my own knowledge, Vu, if if I so let's say I take out money from my RRSP tomorrow, is there is there any downside other than me having to pay the tax, the appropriate tax on it, or no? 
Yeah, no, that is a fabulous question. And the answer is no, you can take it out anytime you want. So, you know, most people think of RSP as I'm going to take it out at age 65, but there's actually no minimum. So unlike the US, the US has a minimum. You cannot take it before age 59. Okay. Right. Whereas in Canada, the RSP is you can take it out anytime you want. It's just that when you take it out, it's considered income. Right. And so there's no penalty fee. There's no administration fee. There's none of that. It's just counted as income. And so there are some strategies that one can employ to what they call slowly melt down the RSPs. Those are those become very complicated financial strategies, which we're not going to talk about today. But right. for people who have a significant amount of RSPs, uh, you know, saved up, they will employ some of these meltdowns to actually try to um, pay less taxes. Right. But to answer your question, um, you can take out as much as you want from an RRSP at any age that you want. The issue is, if you don't want to do that, you you are made to do it at age seventy one. And uh, and in 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 contrary to the TFSA, the RSP is considered income. So the the drawback, I mean, you definitely understand right now the pros and cons of RSP and TFSA. So in my mind, in my humble opinion, the TFSA makes more sense from a retirement and future perspective. Right. And so for me, the TFSA is the government's gift to us. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of us, you know, and I'm, there, I'm not just talking about healthcare professionals, but most Canadians do not understand TFSA and the wonders of TFSA. Right. And so everybody is very focused on RRSP because TFSA is relatively new. Plus, it has a stupid name, mm-hmm. <laughs> tax-free savings account. And so most people think, oh, all I can do is put it in a GIC and a savings account, because that's what the name says, right? Savings account. Um, but most people don't realize that it's a registered account for saving. <laughs> and right. so you, you can, can invest in- it anywhere you want. Exactly. Like, like you did. And so you can invest in the same products as an RRSP. Exactly. Uh, and the benefit is um, you can take it out whenever you want, as much as you want, as little you want, and tax-free at the time of withdrawal. The pitfall with TFSA is that you're only allowed 6000 per year. Yeah. And so that's not a lot of room. Now, even if I wanted to, you know, max out my TFSA year after year at 6000 I can still imagine that at time of retirement, that amount of money is not enough to retire on. And so as much as I love TFSA, the the drawback is that the limit is not enough. Yeah. So, I mean, in in theory, Boo, and I guess, you know, probably I'll need to crunch the numbers, but it sounds like I'm coming to the same conclusion that that you were mentioning, which is for, for me, it sounds like actually instead of focusing so much on the RSP, it's probably, I'm probably better off at maxing out my TFSA, at least initially, uh, and then looking at contributing into other things like RSP once that's done. Uh, Because it sounds like probably in the end, I'm going to end up paying more taxes through my RSP than I would (laughs) otherwise. 
Yeah, I think that's, well, that's the current assumption. Uh, again, I, I want to caution you about assumptions because we really need to uh, put pen to paper and work yeah. out the math uh, and see whether that pans true or not. Because the complicating factor, and I think for most uh, PAs in Canada uh, who are employed by an institution gets a salary and gets an employment, correct? Yes. And so my assumption, again, I may be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that most PAs currently still have a pension with their institution. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the PA model is, is, a, is quite variable. So the ones who are hospital employees, absolutely, I think that stands true. Um, whereas there are certainly PAs who are employees of a partic particular practice, uh, some PAs who will be incorporated uh, working for a particular setting or individual. And then there are also PAs who might be employees of a clinic, but may not actually get a pension. Uh, they might have things like RSP matching uh, through their employer. Uh, but there's also PAs who I think don't have a pension at all and are probably investing in an RSP for their pension. So it's, it's a variable kind of model. Okay, I mean, that's, uh, that's very good to know. So what I understand is that uh, PAs are not all built the same. Um, yeah. I wish everybody was like you, to be honest, uh, <laughs> but, but they're not. Um, so uh, most, uh, most of them, uh, sorry, a good chunk of them will have a pension. Um, a good chunk of them will not have a pension and will have to fall back on the conventional registered account like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, what makes your case a little bit more complicated is, is the fact that you have a pension in addition to that, that will contribute to an income at time of retirement. Right. I guess, Vu, my, my question around the pension is, uh, you know, what are, are there drawbacks around the, the hospital pension? Are there, what are your thoughts about, you know, investing in these pensions, uh, advantages, disadvantages? Uh, I mean, that's a great question. Um, so I will give you my own personal opinion. And this is only my personal opinion. Is this, an, I don't think everybody thinks like this. So I think pensions are a good thing. It depends on which uh, vantage point you're looking at. Okay. Right. So currently, um, you know, pensions are two, two types, uh, a defined contribution or a defined distribution. So a defined contribution means, you know, every month I'm paying an X amount to my pension. And at time of retirement, depending on how good that investment is, whether it's, you know, good rate of return, bad rate of return at the time I'm taking it, the market tanked or my, the market went up, depending on that time when I take it out, the amount is based on the, the market and the investment situation. The other type of pension is what we call defined distribution, meaning I'm paying X amount now. And when I'm, it's time to take it out, I'm guaranteed a fixed amount whether the market tanked or the market went up or went sideways, it doesn't matter. I'm taking that amount out. And so I, in my mind, a defined distribution is a better pension because I can properly plan. I, I know what I'm expecting 
and I can probably plan my taxes and I can probably plan my life around that because I know what's going on. Whereas in the defined contribution without a defined distribution, I really don't know what's going to happen 30, 40 years from now, right? So my overall idea of a pension, it's, it's great if you have it and it's great if you know what you have and you can plan around it. The problem with pensions, uh, and in my mind, it's not so much, it's not so much a, a downfall, it's just that I don't think that way and I don't like to think that way, is I like to be in control of my finances. So in a pension, you have people who manage these pensions, right? These people who manage these pensions, they may be, they are probably very good at it, uh, probably better than I am at it. But a lot of the times they will put in um, investments that have high fees um, and they'll put in mutual funds that have high MERs. And so at the end of the day, it, uh, it um, eats up the investment and the growth portion. Uh, and they put in things that are relatively conservative because they can't blow all the money of every pensioners that have that pension. So they're fairly conservative and they're also investment potentially in things that have high MERs and high fees. As a individual uh, investor myself, I like to control what I invest in the same way you are in control of your robo advising and your self-directed account correct? Right. So I like to control of my own finances. Uh, and so from that perspective, um, if you were to ask me, do I like pensions? I guess the answer would be if I didn't know what I was doing, uh, then the answer would be yes. If, <laughs> if I knew what I was doing, then my answer would be no especially if it's a defined contribution. Yeah, I think one of the advantages uh, for us, at least as hospital uh, employees, is we're a part of HOOP, and I'm pretty sure HOOP is actually a defined distribution. Uh, so we're investing a certain amount, and you get, you're guaranteed to get X amount back at the time of retirement. Which is fabulous, which is fabulous. It takes the guessing game out. Yeah. And, and, you know, early on in my career, I remember you see these big chunks of money that are coming out of your paycheck. Uh, and it was kind of frustrating because I was trying to pay off my debt uh, coming out of school. Uh, but then when I talked to a lot of colleagues who were a bit more senior, you know, everyone kept saying, you know, hoop is one of the, the best pensions that you can be a part of. Like, don't worry about this money. Like you're going to you're going to be laughing at the time of retirement. Uh, if, if you continue to contribute to Hoop throughout your career. So uh, it took me a few years to get onto that bandwagon, but I think I definitely see the value there. Okay. I mean, that's, that's good. I'm going to burst your bubble a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to just think about this and just give it some consideration. So All right. let's just say that money that they took out of your paycheck every month to contribute to Hoop. Uh, let's just say every year they took out, again, as an example, easy math, 10,000, okay? Okay. So what if you can use that 10,000, not pay into hoop, put it into something where you can have a good amount of death benefit in an insurance product, but mm -hmm. also save at 6.25% year after year, almost guaranteed, 
And when a time of withdrawal, whatever that is, and again, there is no, there's no limit of when you can withdraw. You don't have to withdraw. There's, there is no mandatory uh, minimum. And at time of withdrawal, it comes out tax-free. With, right. with the hoop, you're putting 10000 in every year. At ti time of retirement, you have to withdraw. And I think hoop gives you 60 to 70% of your uh, yearly income, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, 70. It might actually be a little bit even more than that. Oh, but, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, think, I think 70 is a fair estimate. Okay, so seven, and you have to take it out. Yes. So whether you want it or not, whether you need it or not, you're made to take out 70% of your yearly income. So let's say we said earlier 100,000, so 70% of that. So a time of withdrawal, you have to take out 70,000. Right. In addition, you're working, you know, partially with the university, you're teaching here and there, you're, you're I don't know, you're doing a side job, you're doing massage for, I don't know, nurses, as an example, <laughs> and, and you're making good money that way, because you enjoy it. And on top of that, you have money coming out of your RSPs. Yeah. So you can imagine the amount of money that you'll have <laughs> at retirement. Yeah. And you're going to have to pay taxes on that. Right. So what if I said to you, don't do that, use the 10,000 to put it in a, into a product where you have life insurance, you have cash value, you don't have to take it out if you don't want to. And if you wanted to take it out, there's no minimum and there's no tax on it. Would you continue paying that 10,000? Uh, it would be a really uh, interesting thing to put down on paper and to work out and calculate to see what the difference would be. But it's a very enticing one. Exactly, right? So, and this is just a roundabout way to answer your questions, whether I like pensions or not. Yeah. And my final answer is I don't. Right. Because a pension does not allow me to be in control. Right. And I think to your point, you know, if, if someone wants to be in control and has that knowledge and interest to follow and, and manage this stuff, then absolutely it makes sense. I think the question is just, where do you fall on that spectrum, right? Because some people may say, you know, I don't want to deal with doing all of this stuff, but I think it's important to you, uh, nonetheless. I, I absolutely agree with your sentiment and your analysis there. Um, but here's my question for you, though. So... Um, to learn this is not difficult. As, as you can see, I'm a physician, I'm not a financial planner, and yet I'm able to do this. So it's, right. and I'm not the brightest one on the block, you know that. Mm -hmm. And so it's not difficult <laughs> to learn. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you're not the brightest one on the block, boo, but uh, you tend to be humble. So no, no, you know that I'm not the brightest <laughs> one. So anyways, my point is, this is not difficult to learn. It doesn't take that much time. And if you did learn this, and it doesn't take much time, but potentially save you at retirement from the age 65 to whenever you will live to 85, 95, 105, because now people live to 105, right? Right. And so at time of retirement for the next 30, 40 years, you may potentially save somewhere between half a million to a million dollars. Would you spend that time to learn it? Yeah, of course. No questions asked. Right. 
And, and we're talking about healthcare professionals here, right? And we're definitely talking about people who have a, a solid base of education and a solid discipline routine already. Yeah. So starting off, I mean, I think they have what it takes to, to learn this stuff and, and to make these decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so therefore, it's not a big stretch for us to do this and to learn this. And so at the end of the day, do I like a pension? No, because I can do this on my own very comfortably and easily. And I potentially save myself a 500 to a million dollars down the road. Right. And so to come back to your questions about pensions, you, you know, now my answer. Very interesting. Again, always enlightening conversations, Vu. I think uh, you've opened my eyes both from the RSP, RIF perspective, and also on the on the pension perspective, I think I'm going to have some number crunching to do. So here's um, what I've gotten out of our conversation, right? Uh, you have a very complicated uh, financial structure. Yeah. Um, it is not black and white. It's it's you're in the gray, um, which. I'm not a I'm not a financial planner, uh, so I don't have the expertise to tell you what to do. But here's what I gathered out of this conversation: um, you have a complicated structure. You need um, some help putting down on paper, you know, the different assumptions and what does the math will show at the end. Correct? Yeah. And so it is clear for me that there are different scenarios that need to be worked out, at least mathematically. Uh, to figure out which is the best way. And when I say the best way, I'm not talking about, you know, just from an accumulation standpoint, I'm talking about a time withdrawal, a time of withdrawal, which one has the least tax burden. Right. Uh, because your problem and, and, and my problem is not a wealth building problem. Our problem is a tax burden problem. Exactly. And so for like most PAs, most physicians, most NPs, most dentists, lawyers, optometrists out there, our problem is not a wealth building problem. Our problem is a tax burden. Because at the end of the day, it's not how much we make that is important. It's how much we get to keep. Exactly. And so you need a financial planner to sit down with you to do the proper math. But more importantly, is really to set some goals. Um, you know, what are you looking for out of life? Uh, what are the different things you want to do? And how do I achieve it uh, with the least friction possible and with the least tax burden possible? Yeah. And what, what does it mean for me to have a pension? What does it mean to add on the RSP? What does it mean to add on the TFSA? And what does it mean if I want to work forever because I enjoy it and I want to do part-time job? What does that mean as well as an income perspective? And the other thing that uh, I wanted to uh, ask of you as well is you mentioned that uh, there are you're, you're newly married and you have no kids, uh, but have you thought about the different risk mitigation tools? I, I would say probably not enough. Uh, and by that, you mean, I, I'm assuming you mean things like uh, disability and, and life insurance? And, and critical illness. Um, and yeah. so all those tools to uh, shift away the burden from you to someone else. No, you know, I, I've started to think about it a little bit more. Um, and in listening to some of your earlier episodes about 
you know, investing in life insurance, I think at, a, at an earlier age is always better. I think I've already waited a little bit too long. And I think it ties in well uh, to your discussion around, you know, having something like a whole life insurance plan uh, and, and seeing how that can fit into my financial situation and whether I can use something like that uh, to substitute pension, other things, and build wealth and savings while also um, looking at mitigating risk if, you know, for whatever reason I pass away. It's been, uh, it's been great chatting with you. I, uh, again, very enlightening conversation. You know, you, like you always say, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, I think it's really important for people to utilize these tools and things like your podcast to inform themselves about the options out there. Because it's easy for me to think, you know, I, I want to, I think I understood the basic component of, you know, trying to divert my taxes, but at a very, very basic level. So just, you know, don't pay taxes, put it in an RSP. It's really simple, but in theory, it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, it's a lot more complicated. And and the majority of people are not aware of the RIF. Uh, and so they don't know what is waiting for them uh, at the uh, at the time of withdrawal, unfortunately. It's a, it's a huge torpedo and a huge time bomb. Right. So, uh, Lorenzo, uh, I am very grateful to you coming on the show and uh, chatting with us today. Thanks so much, Vu. And I'm uh, really grateful for the conversation. And thanks again for all of the insight. Uh, I got a lot of thinking to do, uh, but I think uh, this is a nice uh, starting point. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice. Well, guys and girls, if you like this show and think you learned a ton, please share with your colleagues.